Hello, and welcome to On Staging, a community theater-focused discussion podcast highlighting the development and staging of community theater productions in Calgary and area. Today, I'm overjoyed to welcome two dear friends to the show. Morpheus Theatre here in Calgary is putting on Ken Ludwig's sequel to Lend Me a Tenor, a comedy of tenors, September 29th through October 7th at the Pump House. Uh, And joining me today is the artistic director of Morpheus Theatre, the director of A Comedy of Tenors, Sean Anderson. As well, we are overjoyed to welcome David Hume, who is playing Max in the production. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kyle. I'm so glad and happy to have you both here. This is just a delight. So tell me, what is A Comedy of Tenors all about? (laughs) A Comedy of Tenors, as you mentioned, was written by Ken Ludwig. It's a farce, which is uh, a comedy. I mean, it's in the title as well. So it's a lot of fun. And as a sequel to Lend Me a Tenor, um, you've got multiple people in a tenor role and chaos ensues. The story is about a production concert at a stadium in Paris, three top tenors, Tito Morelli from Lend Me a Tenor, along with the producer's former assistant, Max, and an up-and-coming star, Carlo Nucci, all coming together to present the three tenors in a large stadium. And of course, everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Does most of it take place backstage or is the stage of the production in Paris done as well? It all takes place in a hotel room outside of the stadium, overlooking the stadium. So you've got your typical bedroom farce type layout with multiple doors and uh, yeah, one room set. That's hilarious. And it's a farce. And so that should immediately bring to mind reasons for people to come see it. But why, why do you both think that people should come and see a comedy of tenors? I think people should come and see Comedy of Tenors because it's a great opening to Morpheus Theatre's season this time around. It'll be exciting to see how characters from Lend Me a Tenor, which was done just four years ago, comes back and is put back on the stage. I think audiences will, aside from the farce, the slamming doors, the one door closes, another door opens, but Ken Ludwig is just a master of comedy. And this is one of his newer scripts, and he puts it all together for you. Normally, I would look at a farce as just playing the situation, the absurd situation that these characters are in, and just believing in it. But there is so much comedy and double entendre and simple stupidity in this script that you are laughing right from the minute you sit down. Oh, that's wonderful. I cannot wait to see it opening night. I am very excited to be there. Uh, But Sean, tell me, how did this all come to be? When did the idea to do a comedy of tenors take form for Morpheus Theatre? And when were you, because you're the artistic director, so you kind of have a bigger picture look on this sort of thing. When did you decide that you needed to direct it specifically? And then bringing all these other performers back, which we want to get into as well. There's a lot of really cool logistic things that are happening here. Can you tell me a bit about that? So it was probably about 2017, 2018 that I started thinking about this. I was looking to redo Lend Me a Tenors, and I saw the sequel. And right from that moment, 
the idea of having one cast come and do one show and then do the sequel to it a year or so later. Unfortunately, we had COVID hit right in the middle of that, so we couldn't do it back-to-back years. So it took a few years until we were ready to bring it back. And last spring, I started to reach out to all the different cast members to see if they'd be available. Wow. So wait, spring of 2022 or spring of 2023? Spring of 2023. Oh, okay. Because we were planning to do it for fall of 2023. Right. Okay. So I didn't give them much warning. No, but you've had warning for years and years and years since you discovered a comedy of tenors in 2018 or 2017. It was only published in 2016. So that's, that's going, that's really tight in connection with it. And then you pitched to the board of Morpheus, Hey, we would like to do lend me a tenor was a comedy of tenor something that was included in that discussion with the board back when you discuss, when you discussed doing lend me a tenor or was that uh, in your back pocket all along just in case? I don't think I can remember back then, (laughs) but it was probably something I was thinking about. I have a lot of ideas on shows that I'm just thinking about for future years. I've got some plans for the GNS season that I'm not ready to reveal, but I'm working these ideas for multiple years. I'm keeping show ideas that I want to see at some point. As any good artistic director should do, of course. And a longstanding tenured artistic director like yourself realizes that if you're not thinking two, three years down the road, when you get two, three years down the road, you don't have those ideas there and you're scraping the barrels. But let's go back. So you directed Lend Me a Tenor in 2019. And actually the first time Morpheus did it about 15 years before that. Oh, wow. So you're very well acquainted with these characters and this material. This is a very interesting, strange scenario. There's not a lot of this sort of thing in the world where there's sequels to plays. And oftentimes, if a sequel to a play is being done, it's entirely a new cast. It's not often that it's the same cast, which is also why I talk a lot. I I had Riverona people on here recently. We talked about that because that is another one that is bringing people back to do a whole new show with the exact same characters and actors from stuff that was written here in Calgary. This, however, is a prestigious author with a prestigious pedigree and writing at the highest of Broadway levels. And we're having the same people come back to reprise their roles. What did the, not audition process, but what did the an early read-through and rehearsal process look, for, look like for you as a director that would be different from just a standard show? I would say even just from reading the script... I could see it all playing out. I could see how each actor brought that character to life. I saw the potential in each of those scenes, not through a generic character called Max or Tito, but right through the actor, David Hume, Murray Melichuk, each of these people. And it was amazing how much potential that gave me and reassurance that we could do that script. Because there's just so much foundational structure already built from the performative level and the understanding of the character itself. Did you find that when you went and did the read through for a comedy of tenors that it was easy to fall right back into Max? Or did you have to root around for him and how different he may be in this production as he was in the in Lend Me a Tenor? I'll get to your question in just a moment. Earlier, you First, were... we've got an advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier, you were mentioning how entire casts would be recast for, for a sequel. Right. And I think that's even the case with 
Ken Ludwig's original Lend Me a Tenor. It was released in 1986, where the sequel was released closer to 2016. So they didn't get a chance. So Sean has given us quite the opportunity of actually coming back in this arena and reprising these characters. Now, for Max in general, I was able to take what I learned back then and apply them to the script that I was given for Comedy of Tenors. And I really don't see too much changes in the character. Ken Ludwig has remained true to a lot of the characters from the original to the new one. There's very little difference. There might be a little bit of difference between Max and Mr. Saunders now that Max is married to his daughter and for some time and they're going to have a baby soon as well so that's a big deal but he still is kind of a a lapdog to mr saunders and always trying to get his respect and is always fearful of, of losing that so that remains true but your character has more status in this production than he did in the previous production, right? Given that there's been growth and change and development for him, his interactions and relationships with the other characters has changed too. Did you find that difficult to fall into and trap yourself in the previous role's sort of motivations? Or was it a really nice thing to step and move, take this character forward in time? As you say, he has certainly improved his status with regards to having an opera career and that he's continually working on that. He still has his status as a really great assistant as well. And and you could see that throughout the show as he helps Mr. Saunders out with various things like the capital of Denmark, for example. So you've brought in four of the same performers who were in the previous production. How much of the production team is the same as the 2019 Morpheus production of Lend Me a Tenor? There are a few. There are definitely a few. Actually, taking a look at it, I would say really only our costume designer, Kim Johnson, is probably the only one that we've really brought back. Most of the other people are Well, everybody is known to Morpheus. Everybody is familiar, including the other cast members. But Kim Johnson and myself are the only two people that we brought back into that show. That's cool. And so your discussions with the costumer, since she costumed Lend Me a Tenor, how much of her costuming has been consistent with the characters that she did in Lend Me a Tenor? Was there a lot of common clothing articles and color choices that were used in Lend Me a Tenor that are now being used in a comedy of tenors? There's definitely a lot of styles that are very similar. Max with his button-up shirt and his sweater vest, Tito and Maria with their European style. All of that's very much the same, except for it's a decade later. So they definitely played that up. And Kim's just pulled together some amazing costumes that's uh, great. for the show. How about yourself? Did you find that the costumes were similar or that they they hearkened back to the, the Max you knew in 2019? They certainly did. I get to be decked out in Argyle once more. So it was a joy. I, I, the moment I saw that, I was like, yep, that, that's Max again. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's nice to see that carry over. And so that should be great for any returning Morpheus patron or audience member who watched and saw the 2019 production of Lend Me a Tenor. They're going to get a lot of great callbacks and a lot of great commonalities with the same actors and some of the similar themes that are being explored in this with these characters. How do you think that 
that's going to play for people who are new, who did not see or has not even seen Lend Me a Tenor? This show completely stands on its own. You don't have to know anything about the prior version to understand these characters, understand this situation or the comedy in it. But as you say, if you have seen it, even for us, we're picking up on language or phrases or even a little bit of patter that took place in the first show that is being repeated between the characters, different words. So it's there's all these little Easter eggs for the audience if you know it. So if you have a chance to catch a YouTube version or see an online version of Lend Me a Tenor in advance of coming out to this in a couple weeks' time, you would be well served with that bit of research ahead of time. Not that it's necessary, but... Not necessary, but it's like picking up a movie franchise. You pick up things that you the average audience may not have seen. And as I keep coming back to these sorts of things, because, but I haven't mentioned it on the podcast yet, but I always think of Shakespeare's Henry IV Part One and Henry IV Part Two, and then Henry V, and how really those flow one into the next. And if you did not see Henry IV Part One, I've always wondered how understandable Henry IV Part Two is in exclusivity. And I, I kind of wish that I'd lived back at that time to see how that came to be, because that would have been the same cabal of actors in Henry IV Part One and Henry IV Part Two, But I digress. We're actually here not to talk about uh, things that I've mused upon in the past. I think that the show, especially the first few scenes, develop the characters significantly enough that people can understand what happened in the past and also understand what's going to happen throughout the rest of the show. So like Sean, I believe it stands on its own. Great. So you've been mentally preparing this show since 2017, 2018. It's now the spring of summer 22. I don't doubt you probably had to put all of this together before that in in, in approaching the board and getting the Morpheus schedule for the year together, probably in January, February of this year, or was that earlier than that? We meet as a board to finalize the season in March, April of each year. So before our final production, we want to have the shows ready to go and be announced at the GNS Opera. So it was only a few months ago in reality that we started planning this in earnest. That's amazing. And how much of your production team did you assemble right away in March, April when you'd first announced it? How many of the people that you knew were going to be involved in it were already there? So I'll let you in on a secret. I am a procrastinator. (laughs) I pull things together at the last minute. So a lot of this team came together in June and July. Wow. So, I mean, it, that's not just to say that you're a procrastinator, but it also takes time to do these things. And you do wear a lot of different hats. So that doesn't necessarily mean you're a procrastinator, but that you have a lot going on as you work your way through each honeydew list of your own creation. And to that end then, so when was the first production team meeting for Lend Me a Tenor? July 30th. Wow, that's not that, that long ago. Read, that was the same day as our read-through. Same day as the read-through, and then rehearsals started in earnest. Yep, seven weeks of rehearsals for this show, and summer schedules, so people are taking breaks, some are going away on vacation, uh, some are away on vacation right now, but wow, we didn't have to spend a lot of time on character development. Even no. for the new actors, they all just came in with the script and were able to understand these characters. We've done dialect coaching and singing coaching because there is actually singing in this show. 
So it has a lot more elements to it than a typical play or farce. Oh, that's great. Who's your dialect coach? Paige Fossheim's husband, Aaron Infusino. He's a delight. I cannot wait to have him do more stuff with Morpheus. This is like the uh, the, the initial prick that pulls you in. Uh, you've now got him hooked, and hopefully he'll be back for a lot more to come in the future. He actually did the dialect on Lend Me a Tenor as well. Right? Back in 2019? Yep. That's amazing. So another person that's been brought forward in time to this next show too. You then reached out to right away your initial four that were carried over. And did any of them have any reservations in coming back and reprising a role? Just checking on schedule and availability. And then they all confirmed yes. Absolutely. And you were good to run to the races. Then it was finding actors who would match it. I was going to say, if if anything, we were missing the actors who didn't have their roles reprised. Oh, really? So that you, you felt that absence, that void immediately there? Well, it's something we certainly longed for and just to have the whole group back together. But I mean, as it happens, they only recast the four, four roles and the others were new. So one of the actresses is mentioned throughout the show. So you feel her presence, but she's not actually on stage. Mm-hmm. One of the actresses auditioned for to be in one of the other roles oh that's cool but then had to pull out at the last minute due to scheduling and that is always the problem with community theater is scheduling 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 not only with the production team but with all of the actors in your show as well and so that has doubtlessly been a bit of a hiccup making this the best thing that it can possibly be over the course of seven weeks as you lead into tech week coming up here Uh, have there been any other hiccups or problems that you'd want to share to say like this is how hard it is to make community theater happen sometimes well for those who know morpheus we've long use bill brown for our sets right so we know what kind of set to expect this time bill's unavailable himself to design and assemble that set so we're working with him and his set pieces but it's a big difference for us so yeah we're going to find out how to assemble our own sets and do all that extra work and That's going to take time. That's going to take a lot of time. And that will apply to multiple seasons going forward. So Until such time as things change. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a short rehearsal schedule and finding time for things like the intimacy, which there is a lot of intimate moments between these characters. There's also falling and slapping and other things that have to take place in a physical comedy. (laughs) David's miming choking. (laughs) I've seen him choke on stage many times. So (laughs) now we've got Tito choking Max. It feels appropriate. (laughs) That's a delight. So yeah, I mean, putting the set together and then having a design for the set, that's something you just really have to struggle and to build it yourself. Did you bring on a new set designer then or is it just still working with bill in this capacity still working with bill on providing the sets i've taken on the design role myself another hat one more hat but it's making sure that the walls stay stable and the doors always open when they should and don't open when they shouldn't because with the farce the slamming doors is it is what it's about it's paramount yeah so It puts the mount in paramount. It is super important that everything be sound and structured, having been in a farce myself now, knowing how uh, some actors deal with doors. You definitely don't want them flying off their hinges or knocking half the set down. That's uh, something to work with as well. And so the actors have all been now working with your intimacy 
director or intimacy coordinator. Who's that for this particular production? Anastasia St. Amand. Wonderful human. Absolutely. Calgary's preeminent intimacy coordinator. <laughs> Does not seem like there are many others at this juncture. Maybe we can get a few more and uh, Anastasia will be less hard pressed with her time. Was she the intimacy coordinator for Lending Me a Tenor or did you have... I, 2019 might have been a little earlier than we were having intimacy coordinators. So... One of the characters was also a young intimacy coordinator. Oh, that's great. So she played that dual role for that production. Oh, that's wonderful. And actually another person who played dual roles is Paige Fossheim, who was assistant director back then on her first show as an assistant director leading up to becoming a director. So Paige Fosheim was the assistant director in Lend Me a Tenor, and now Paige Fosheim and her husband are are now involved in this production. What's Paige doing for a comedy of tenors? So Paige is playing Tito and Maria's daughter, Mimi, and she's got a love interest with another familiar performer from last season. So I'm sure the audience will just Eat love up. meeting everybody. Oh, that's great. I cannot wait to see it. I'm very much looking forward to it. And I'll come back to my initial question of what is this all about? Why is this happening? And we'll take it to when you first read a comedy of tenors, what are some questions that you're hoping the audience takes away from having seen this production? Because I always feel that theater should change you in some capacity, no matter if it's just a, a comedy or something hilarious or a delight to watch, that the act of consuming your, the media around you changes you in some capacity. Are there any questions that you as a director have purposefully approached so that the audience can take away something from this show? I approach farce and comedy very much as a choreography of chaos. And as David and the rest of the cast can attest, it is really about just the movement, the taking the character where they need to go, but making sure that the movements always move the story forward. There's a fluidity of movement so that everything is going so that that door shuts and another one opens, that one actor's moving somewhere and another one is going to be filling in that empty space right away. And to me, it is all about the motion of people. And I leave the story to the playwright. And Ken Ludwig's written such a brilliant story that you don't have to fill in and try to fuss with it too much. One of the things about a farce is that you should not feel the passage of time that by the time the, the, the show is done, you'll have wondered how two hours or uh, each act has, uh, has transported you forward in time. But if we're looking for themes, it's the Tito and Maria characters have been together for so long and their counter is actually Henry Saunders, who has been married four times and can't find love and lasting love. And then Max, who's with Saunders' daughter. And just seeing Max's character, you know they're going to be together in a loving relationship. For Tito, his relationship has always been about the opera first, and Maria's been dragged along, and you see what that relationship can do to somebody, and how she does it because she still loves him. She will be at the stage door. She will be backstage. She will be waiting for him to come home. And I see that in a lot of theater families everywhere. Right. But the opposite and the most touching moment right at the end is where 
Max has been saying it throughout the show that he wants to be a husband first and an artist second. And he's finding a way through the story to do that. And I just think that he proves it right at the end of the story. And it's amazing. I can't wait to look for that. And for those people who are listening to this podcast, I want you to also think about the relationships between these people and their art definitely have a correlation to our own personal uh, relationships with our loved ones and our art. And I know that the audience, especially opening night, will be full of those sorts of people who will have an actual perspective upon what's being shown and demonstrated in this production. How about for you? I think Ken Ludwig with Comedy of Tenors has put together a, a tapestry of these characters who have a lot of drama going on. None of these characters are static. We think of ourselves as static individuals in going about our lives. Things aren't happening at rapid paces, but inside Comedy of Tenors, he's taken a lot of drama for each of those, slapped it in all together. These characters are dynamic. They're going places. Each one of them is like, wow, there's big things going on with that person. And so I think it's good to take a look at all the characters and say, hey, where are the arcs here? And how are these characters doing? And what are the relationships and how are they changing by the end of the show? Well, I couldn't end on a better note than that. I'm very much looking forward to seeing this production. As I always say, theater is an ephemeral thing that exists in a brief amount of time. And from September 29th till October 7th, that is the only opportunity you're going to get to see a comedy of tenors. And whether or not you've seen the precursor, Lend Me a Tenor or not, there still is a great deal of laughter, humor, farcical door entrances and exits, the flow and passage and movement of time and physical comedy that you should expect from it. But you'll also leave with perhaps a greater appreciation on your own approach to love and art and life. Thank you so much, both of you, for sitting down with me today. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>